Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we are the Film Flamers. It's getting real close to Halloween and we wanted to pick a movie that was very scary to talk about. And I think that we did. I think so too, because that's uh, one of the first in a long time that's actually gotten me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get scared quite easily. And so if something really scares me, you know that it's like just uber terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so we are talking about the movie Terrified. Or Atarados. My God. <laughs> That's good. I've, I've been in a rolling R here or there. <laughs> Aterrados. I don't know why I like had that little like porn thing at the end of it, but hey. Anyway, Aterrados is a 2018 Argentinian horror film written and directed by Demian Runga, who also composed the score. <laughs> Oh my god. This is going to be a... Damien Runga? Sure. I don't know. Damien Runga. Yeah. Who also composed the score. I actually had to like go and like look at IMDb, which actually did not have him on, and actually went back to the film to make sure that it said music by, and it does. So yeah, mm-hmm. he wrote and directed and did the music for this film, and I have to say... He did a good job, and he's a triple threat. I'm surprised he didn't edit it. Yeah, I, I mean, he may have had a hand in that. Who knows? But there's not a whole lot we know about the production of this movie, or at least that I can find. So Yeah. And, of course, the uh, excellent special effects makeup was done by Marco Spirta. The movie concerns a series of supernatural events that take place in a neighborhood of Buenos Aires. The film stars Maximiliano What's new? Gione. Buenos Aires. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Let's <laughs> get the shit out of me. <laughs> bad things are new bad terrible things <laughs> the film stars Maximiliano Gione Julieta Valina Elvira Neto and George L. Lewis <laughs> alright well buckle up and prepare to be terrified Atarados <laughs> On a quiet residential street in Buenos Aires, Clara is hearing noises coming from the drain in her kitchen sink. She thinks that she can make out voices. When her husband, Juan, arrives home, she tells him, but he brushes it off as noise from Walter, their next-door neighbor, remodeling his home. Early the next morning, Clara gets out of bed and heads to the bathroom. Juan hears banging and assumes it's coming from next door. He beats on the wall and asks Walter to knock it off. But when the bangs continue, Juan angrily walks outside and presses the button on Walter's call box. Someone answers, but doesn't say a word. Juan demands that Walter stop making noise so early in the morning. He even threatens to call the police. He heads back inside and hears the banging again, and realizes that it's not coming from Walter's house, but his own. He runs into the bathroom, where Clara is being levitated above the bathtub. She's being pulled from one side of the tub to the other, smashing her head violently with each pull. Juan tries to save her, but can only helplessly look on as Clara is killed. Several days earlier, Walter is desperately trying to contact Dr. Albrecht, but she is not taking his calls. At home, he climbs into bed and falls asleep, but wakes up when he hears a strange noise. His lamp will not turn on, and when he fumbles for the cord, he notices a naked figure run down his hallway. Scared, he pulls the covers over his head, but can see the shadow of a hand spreading out above his covered face. He wakes the next morning to find his house in disarray. Knowing that Dr. Albrecht needs proof, Walter buys and sets up a video camera to record the goings-on in his room. He sets it on top of a wardrobe and falls asleep. He wakes when he hears the camera fall to the floor. 
He gets the camera and backs up the recording. A menacing naked figure can be seen standing over his bed, watching him. The figure then retreats into the wardrobe, knocking the camera to the ground. Walter opens one side of the wardrobe and checks, but nothing is there. He goes back to the camera and backs the recording further. As he watches, the other side of the wardrobe opens slowly, and the naked creature slowly emerges behind him. Weeks before Clara's death, a small child is playing with a soccer ball on their street and kicks it toward Walter's home. He heads toward the house to get it and notices a water spigot. Thirsty, he leans in for a drink, but Walter, from behind a window, admonishes him. The child slowly backs away into the road and is struck by a bus. The boy's mother, Alicia, is overcome with grief, and one night, after the funeral, she hears a knock at the door. She goes to investigate and finds little muddy shoe prints on her porch. Later, Hanno, played by Norberto Gonzalo, former medical examiner and current paranormal investigator, is summoned to Alicia's home by Detective Funes, played by Maximiliano Gion. The two are close friends, and Funes knows that Hanno is discreet enough to help. When Hanno arrives, he notices a hysterical Alicia and very scared police officers. Funes takes Hanno into the dining room, where he finds the corpse of Alicia's son sitting at the table with food and a glass of milk. The boy doesn't seem to be moving, although the officers swear they saw him do so. Hanno determines the child to indeed be dead, and makes a plan with Funes. They will bury the child after sedating his mother and never speak of this again. While they are not paying attention to the child, they hear a noise. They turn to find the glass of milk has been knocked over. Outside, Hanno spots Dr. Albrecht, played by Elvira Oneto, taking pictures of Walter's house. He goes to introduce himself, as she is also a respected paranormal investigator. She explains that she's trying to study the goings-on inside Walter's home, but cannot reach him. Hanno invites her to come into Alicia's home to see the situation there. While they discuss... The dead boy's friend climbs over the wall into Alicia's backyard to collect toys. He notices the boy's corpse and enters the home, but runs away terrified. Hanno, Albrecht, and Funes hide the boy's body in a freezer until it can be buried. Funes also tells Hanno that he and the boy's mother, Alicia, have had an intimate relationship in the past and reminds Hanno of a health issue that he has. While Juan is incarcerated in a mental health hospital for his wife's murder and awaiting trial, he is visited by Hanno Albrecht and a colleague of Albrecht's, Rosentalk, played by George L. Lewis. They ask him some questions about his neighborhood and tell him that they know he didn't kill his wife. Juan gives them permission to investigate his house. With the help of Funes, the three investigators split up amongst the three affected homes and prepare to investigate the happenings. In Walter's house, Funes and Rosentalk investigate in the dark as there is no power. They find evidence of the paranormal all over the home, and Funes starts to have second thoughts about being part of the investigation. He tells Rosentalk about his heart condition and that he wears a hearing aid. In the kitchen, they find silverware mysteriously magnetized to the bottom of a cabinet, and Rosentalk gets stabbed through the hand. They notice that the blood from his wound is being sucked by something hiding in the cabinet, but they cannot see what's inside. In Juan's home, Albrecht sets up her equipment to test the supernatural presence, and, when it starts to go off, she notices a noise coming from the kitchen drain. She spots a huge crack on the wall and begins to investigate what's inside. In Alicia's house, Hanno receives a strange phone call from a woman looking for Alicia who has been staying with her sister. Hanno notices that there are messages on her answering machine from a neighbor, who says that her son recorded a video of Hanno and others hiding the body of her son in the freezer. Glasses on a china cabinet begin to shake, and he gets a call from Funes, who says he is leaving the investigation. 
But before he can, Rosentalk calls Funes into Walter's bedroom to show him a discovery. He directs Funes's attention under Walter's bed. On one side of the bed, where they shine a light, Funes can see nothing. But on the other side, in the darkness, are the naked creatures. They begin to move, and Funes flees the home while suffering symptoms from his heart condition. He makes it to Alicia's house to find Hano, but there is no sign of him, only broken glass on the floor around the china cabinet. As he turns off his hearing aid, Funes can hear groans and breathing from behind the cabinet. He pulls it out and rips at the back panels to find an eyeless Hano screaming to be let out. Inside the crack in the wall, Albrecht can see a pair of eyes looking at her. She calls out to it as Funes enters the home to tell her about Hano. She warns him not to believe everything he sees during the investigation. He shows her the blood on his hands and explains that it belongs to Hano and Rosentalk. She tells him to clean up, but not to drink any tap water from the house. She calls Rosentalk to end the investigation, but gets no response. She explains to Funes that they study coexisting dimensions and the beings that live in the ones different from our own. These beings can gather and nest and eventually use our bodies as hosts. While they talk, a giant clawed hand attacks Albrecht, causing another attack to Funes' heart. A creature emerges from the crack and crawls toward Funes. As he lies weak on the floor, Alicia enters and confronts him about hiding and reburying her son. He begs her to take him to the hospital, and as he makes his way to her car, he sees her dead son in the back seat. Instead, he gets into his own car and drives away, as a broken-necked Aubrek runs toward him, begging to be saved. Funes returns to the neighborhood and douses Alicia's house with gasoline and finds Alicia has hanged herself. He attempts to light a match to start the blaze, but it keeps blowing out. He turns to see Hano, blowing out each match. He shoots at the gas with his gun and starts the fire. The house is quickly engulfed. A year later, while still incarcerated, Juan is visited by three men investigating the events of the night of the fire. While discussing Funes, Juan says that he can see Rosentalk at a table behind them, but the others see nothing. Suddenly, a chair moves and is hurled toward the men. The end. That's a terrible synopsis to write. <laughs> because, like, there's so much going on in this movie, and it's not told linearly. Is that a word? <laughs> I think so. Uh, I mean, yeah, it starts kind of in the middle, and then it goes backwards, and then it goes right back to where the big, kind of like the the beginning left off, I guess. Yeah. So it's it's... <sighs> It's interesting. It's an interesting movie. I don't find it confusing in that regard at all. It's pretty no. I mean, well I, I I didn't feel confused while watching the movie. It was just trying to to like create a synopsis and try to to do yeah. it in a in a, a linear fashion, right? So I think this mm-hmm. movie just works on a level that's easier to 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 watch than to explain. You know, so agreed. Yeah, very much. Well, terrified was first screened at Mexico City's Morbido Fest in 2017. This festival celebrates horror and dark cinema from Latin countries and all over the world. It was officially released on May 3rd, 2018 in Argentina. It had a smaller than usual release, only showing on 80 screens and coming in at the seventh spot opening weekend. In the US, Canada, and the UK, Terrified was released on the streaming service Shudder. Globally, the film has grossed a little more than 376000 yeah, that doesn't seem like a lot. Although, well, I don't know how much the budget was. It could have been less. Yeah, and uh, I couldn't find a whole lot about the budget of this movie. And I know that mm-hmm. the way that streaming services work, I'm sure that they get some sort of like percentage, 
every time somebody watches yeah. this movie, right? And so I, I've shaped it three times now. So yeah. So Terrified has a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 66%. Uh, While there is no site consensus yet, the film received generally favorable reviews. Vulture.com placed it among the top horror movies of 2018, calling it, quote, an absolutely excellent tale of the supernatural featuring some amazing deaths and creature effects. Slash Film also had praise for the film, summarizing their review with, quote, part love letter to its horror movie predecessors, part uniquely crafted spooky tale, Terrified is a gory and gruesome gem that solidifies its spooky real estate within the genre we all know and love. And I have to say, I mean, people on social media talk about this movie a lot. And anytime mm-hmm. someone is like giving this blanket, I want to watch a movie that's that will scare me, it's always being recommended by somebody, right? So I, yeah. I think that people have seen this movie and find it to be very, very scary. So, um, but I mean, it has some accolades and some legacy to talk about. At the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, it won Best Foreign Language Film, and it was nominated for Best Director and Best Makeup Effects. At Fantastic Fest, it was awarded Best Horror Film. And at the Argentinian equivalent of the Oscars, um, it was nominated for Best Makeup. Guillermo del Toro announced in December of 2018 that he would actually like to produce an English language remake of the film. The director also announced during COVID lockdown that he was working on a script for a sequel to the movie. I think we also saw that the director of this film, Damien Runga, Damien Runga was uh, slated to actually help to write and maybe even direct it himself. And I would like to see that. I kind of like it when, um, you know, directors of foreign language horror films make a American version, right? We've seen that with The Grudge. And I think yeah. that that turned out really, really well. So, yeah. I mean, if he can if he can have the chance to make the movie again for American audiences, I, I think that would be the, the best possible thing for that remake of this movie. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. but uh, let's let's get into the movie itself and, and talk about it. So, yeah, like, I feel like a lot about this movie and why it's so terrifying to so many people is that it has a lot of different types of horror and a lot of interesting homages that still feel original. So if you're more of the jump scare type or if you're the creeping dread type or, you know, the reveal type, you know, there's a lot of different types of horrors and scares in this movie. And so it's going to get someone just by the numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you, if you take, everything that you can possibly have in an arsenal and just like throw it at people. Yeah. It's going to affect someone and maybe everyone, you know, you're going to remember the scariest parts of that movie that affected you. And it could mm-hmm. have been something else that scared another viewer. And I've, I've found that to be true about this movie. So definitely. First of all, I've, I've split this movie as I do into acts. And the first act I call the water. Okay. Right. And I feel like this is the first time I might have been scared of a bubble. <laughs> Maybe Stephen King's it. I don't know. Cause it's coming out of the sink and there's, there's things that are talking, you know, down there and stuff. And it's really, really creepy. And then of course you get that shower scene payoff, right? Yeah, so I I know that it has done bathroom scenes like this, right? And there has been a, a but the, the bubble in it is very gross, very visceral, right? It's blood yeah. all mm-hmm. over a room, right? When this this was much more subtle, where you actually see the bubble kind of breathing out of the drain. That's right, and the woman Clara listening to it, I mean, she looks 
like she's listening, right? And mm-hmm. at the time, we have no idea like how long she's been staring at that drain. It could have been seconds. It could have been minutes. But, you know, her husband comes home and she confesses that she has been hearing voices coming from the drain like most of the day, you know? And that just yeah. sort of like sets up the entire thing. And there's that red herring of like the banging from Walter's house, which sort of like leads into the next like part of the movie. But that shower scene, I was not expecting that level of very brutal yeah brutality from it when he came home and went to investigate and saw what was happening to his wife i was like taken aback i was like oh jesus i was like she's like her head is being banged against each side of the bathtub or the shower and it was crazy it kind of reminds me of darkness falls where the film really opens up with the subtle horror and then it goes into this bombastic horror in a kind of a shower scene uh-huh and it's kind of interesting that way. Of course, this one's much more gory and bloody and disturbing, you know, but it's, it does it's already it's mixing those, those different kinds of horror. And it's not a slow burn because you instantly get that payoff of the shower scene within the first five or 10 minutes of the film. Right. Yeah. That first, the first segment of this where it's like, you know, introducing what's going on in this neighborhood is very quick. And it, I mean, it goes like from zero to a thousand, like just right away. And you have no idea what to expect after that, because I think we have some credits that happen right after that shower scene, right? With a really mm-hmm. effective score, I think, you know, I would like to add. I the 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 credit Definitely. score in this is good. So Oh yeah, I was so shocked just to hear that the director also scored the movie and wrote it. And I was just like, what a triple threat, because this this music makes me want to go find the soundtrack because it was so good. Yeah, agreed. But that also reminds me like like you don't see anything, right? You don't see you just hear the you just see kind of the evidence of breath in the bubbles coming out of the kitchen sink and you hear it. And the shower scene, she's literally just moving on her own, being binged, you know, from wall to wall in this bloody shower of horror and <laughs> you know you think it well this is like a poltergeist thing you know but you know just wait you know because every kind of chapter of this movie has something else to show you you know so it's interesting and that kind of leads into our next act right is it under the bed or in the closet either way <laughs> yeah the childhood uh nightmare right where this grown man is essentially putting the covers out of his bed over his head because he's too scared to look you know because he thinks he sees things he hears things he sees things moving his bed is moving you know his light is getting unplugged from the wall underneath the bed you know it's this creepy creepy stuff that we're all familiar with just from having been children yeah i mean and who among us has not done something like that like pulled the covers over your head to sort of shield you from the evil that's in your room like that would do anything you know what i mean i oftentimes think like if i hear a noise even as an adult i'll pull the covers over my head and i'm like well if it's some sort of murderer coming into my house he's not going to be like oh well he's under the covers i guess i better go (laughs) oh god yeah but yeah i mean it's instinctual for him and he doesn't want to see what's happening around him but he does want to see and that's when he looks like and you get these fleeting images of things like running out of his room you know and obviously naked which is Mm -hmm. you know kind of off-putting as well and there's like side eye yeah right and there's there's a moment where he's looking into his living room and he can sort of see the shadow of the thing that's like tormenting him right and he is just obviously terrified and that reminded me of nosferatu yes very much that clawed shadow yeah Mm mm-hmm yeah and then this is kind of the first inkling of like the he sees them through the video but not in reality unless it's like his peripheral vision or light and dark it's like the first taste of the see it can't see it kind of duality of the film right yeah and he's he's obviously looking for help right and i kind of like the misdirect of this 
part of the movie because he's calling Dr. Albrecht and we don't know what kind of a doctor she is. And mm-hmm. he's, he's making it seem like he really needs help. And he's admitting to the person on the phone that, yes, he takes medicine, but it's not working. Right. And so we're, you know, we start to doubt as to whether or not the things that are happening to him are real. You know, because we don't know who this doctor is. I mean, the first time I watched it, I assumed that he was calling some sort of like therapist or something like that for help or like a change in medicine. And, you know, when he said he had to have proof, you know, that's when I was like, OK, some shit's about to go down. And he gets that video camera set up. Ugh. Yeah. And and obviously lives through the experience because he's able to send those to her. And that's what makes her show up later. It's not really explained, though. However, we do get the, you know, the hint that this is a process of infection, right? That there's something in the water, right? Because we see him behind his panels of his room. We don't get to see his face, really. But he warns the boy away from the water after we see that the monster kind of gets him with the camera, right? Right. And he warns the boy away from the water, and then he doesn't do anything. He just shuts the the shutters, Right. So that was like his last bit of humanity because later on we see that maybe he's been turned into some sort of monster later in the film. I do have to say that the monsters in this particular segment of the movie to me are very, very frightening. And I I don't know why. I've seen far worse things in horror movies before, but I think it's super effective and a really good creature. And simple. Yeah. Yeah, very much. I mean, like. Because they look a little different every time. Yeah. And it's. I don't, when he's watching the uh, camera, like he's literally watching the creature go into the wardrobe as it's coming out from behind him. And I'm like, it's just so good, <laughs> so effective yeah. and very scary. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of um, of that cave movie, right? Oh, The Descent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. Because those creatures, like they, 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 they show you like subtle parts of them throughout the movie until it's a full on barrage of those creatures. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah, that's very similar to that. I love it. And then of course we get into our next act, which is the little boy. Right. Right. Which really starts after that warning. So Walter is telling him not to drink that water. Right. So we know that something is going on with the water in this neighborhood. And that boy is so terrified that he backs up staring at the house And keeps backing up into the road and is suddenly hit by a commuter bus. Mm -hmm. And at this point, we had already kind of seen in the story that uh, what happened even earlier than this is someone's dog had gotten hurt or died or run over or something and also got back up to life and was fine, right? In this case, that boy didn't have much of this water. I don't know. This is a theory. But that boy had clawed his way out of the, <laughs> out of his grave. You see footprints like the first time I watched this movie, I'm not even sure I saw the footprints on the front of the house at first before it's called out in the movie. Yeah. But you see them as he's going up to the house. And um, and that boy at the kitchen table is just like to me, the, the creepiest part of this whole movie. It is very scary. I have to say that when that kid got hit by the bus. I gasped, right? And I I don't know what it is about characters getting hit by buses, right? Like in Final Destination, I gasp at that every time that I see it, even though I know it's coming. I mean, it's something that's so destructive and powerful, and it's a terrible way to die. And it is just like so frightening to me to see, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't notice those footprints on the house either. Obviously, we noticed the footprints on her porch, and yeah. it's, it's all there 
for you. I mean, you know, for you to, to see until even before it gets pointed out, I just, I didn't notice any of that. Yeah. And it's like, it was on the walls. Like you'd been walking on the wall and on the ceiling a little bit. And it was just really, really creepy. It's just one of those, uh, things you can't see or things that happened before, you know, yes. (laughs) And that's part of why this movie works so well for me is because nothing's really explained. They're showing and not telling. And I love that. And that's the creepiest part of horror movies for me. And when they work so well, and it's not super explained to how this works or, or, you know, what the mythology behind it is. And I'm glad I don't know, yeah. you know, because that you don't know the rules, you know, they're not playing by normal reality games here, you know, like rules here. And so that boy at that table with the kitchen light off, and then you see it, you don't see it. You just hear a move, you know, and it's such a real looking, like to me, it's such a real looking kind of bloated kid corpse that it just like <laughs> creeps me the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> bloated kid corpse. I mean, you're right though. It looks real enough that you expect it to move at any given second, right? You're like, like you're studying it. Anytime the camera is like pointed at that bloated kid corpse, you're expecting it to to move and you're waiting for it. And it just doesn't happen like on camera. Right. And I think that's, that's the best thing they could have done. But I think that this is where the movie really starts rolling and we get into who our, our main characters are and, you know, sort of who they are and, and, and their backstories really. Right. So we get detective Funes or deputy Funes, as he's called in the movie and his relationship Mm -hmm. with Hano and how he trusts him enough to call him into this, you know, situation. And Hano is a a respected medical examiner. He knows if someone's alive or dead and what caused their death, but he's moved past that. He's had experiences of his own to where he now focuses his attention on paranormal things. And that's why Funes has called him in. And they are, you know, watching this boy and studying him and trying to figure out the next move, you know, to get that child back into the ground. As Hano says, he needs to be buried again. Like we have to get him back into the ground. Yeah. And they're both playing it really cool. Like usually in these scenes are kind of make it or break it for me where someone does something stupid or you have to convince someone they're like, no, this is happening and we're just going to deal with it in their own private ways and just going to focus on what needs to be done. Right. And that's what they do. Yeah, I mean, because they have to have a plan. They're like, we have a very limited amount of time. If word gets out that this happened, it could be bad for his mother. Like, people could look at it and say, like, she dug him up. And -hmm. nobody wants that to happen, especially Funes, because we learn that he, you know, has a relationship with the boy's mother, Alicia. And it's over at that point, because, I mean, she refers to him as her ex. But he obviously wants to protect her from other people saying things about her. And she's already gone through enough, like losing her child. And then, of course, they, they think they witness it moving, you know, and they keep the light on after that. But then they come back later and they notice that, that someone's been there and they left, you know, a kid, the presumably the boy's, you know, friend that's still living came by and, and just like freak the fuck out when the thing like looked at him through the window mm-hmm. <laughs> the corpse my god the boy yeah when that kid is climbing over the wall and is picking up those toys and he looks inside and sees the kid like sitting there at the table i was just like god how horrifying for that child but how yeah. horrifying for us as the viewer i was like is he gonna move now are we finally gonna see it you know and we do yeah and it's 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 good it's a good payoff this is also a good point in the movie because we get to finally meet Dr. Albrecht and we learn what kind of a doctor she is and what Walter mm. was trying to seek her out for. 
And it wasn't for his mental well-being. It was because he knew that he was plagued by something supernatural in his home. And she was the one that was recommended to help him with the problem. And, you know, so we sort of learn between the interaction between Hanno and Albrecht, like what they do sort of for a living or what they're famous for. And that, you know, he sort of like stands her a little bit or whatever. And... And like it's like really gets the ball rolling as far yeah, as investigation and first, goes. And the first time I watched this, I thought that they had like a mutual respect, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I noticed there was a line where Hano was like, "Oh, so you read my book?" She's like, "Yeah, it had a nice cover." Right? You know? like, <laughs> She's like, kind oh, of a bird. bitch. <laughs> yeah. She's like, "It had a nice cover." <laughs> <laughs> and that's like I also appreciate about this movie. There are several times that it makes me laugh, you know. Yeah. And I think a, a really good scary movie needs to like give some levity to a situation and, you know, just to make you feel a little less at edge, but also that makes it easier to scare you in the future. So, but yeah, when he meets her, it's clear that like, she's a little bit more well-respected than he is, but they clearly have, you know, a mutual interest going on in that neighborhood and they need to get to the bottom of it. So yeah, they hide that boy's body in a freezer and um, it also makes me jump when that freezer starts to shake, right? They put yeah. him in there and put that plant on top of it and it starts shaking all around. And uh, I've, I mean, I, to me, that's scary. And they don't yeah, and notice. They hear the boy like whimpering inside right. after yeah. they turn off the. Ugh. I mean, it's good. It's so effective and good. But at this point, you know, they go, they basically like Albrecht has already kind of been in investigating Walter's house. And of course, um, Hano has been, of course, investigating the little boy's house. And so they go back to the original, uh, the guy that's in, in the mental institution, they think that killed his wife in the shower. And they, they're they totally like, well, you're in this neighborhood and all the shit's going down. So we're going to try and help help you. And that's when kind of we have our chessboard kind of set, mm-hmm. right? The board is set, the pieces are moving. <laughs> that's right. Because they, they, they call in a third investigator, and this is someone that is a colleague of Albrecht's, and that's uh, Rosentock, and he's clearly yeah. American. And I was going to ask you. Okay, yeah. yeah. So Because obviously Spanish is his second language, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't get if his accent when he says an American word was actually American accent or not. Or yeah. if he was supposed to be like Russian or something. From what I gather in the movie, just based upon the context clues, right? Because he, he doesn't speak Spanish very well. And oftentimes the other characters have to help him with his own Spanish. And he also talks about, you know, investigating other occurrences that are very similar. And he clearly is looking for specific kind of evidence, right? And this mm-hmm. is someone that Albrecht already trusts and is called into the investigation. They go and meet with Juan and, um, you know, he gives them permission to go into his own house and that sort of starts up the the final act of the movie a little bit and they have to go and investigate everything. And that's an act I like to call the investigation and conflagration. That's a good name for this act. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) So there are three homes, three investigators and a detective and they decide the best course of action is to split up. Because they only have one night or something? Like, what the fuck? This I is mean, the only problem I have with this movie is that they split <laughs> up. They're all like, they're seriously, they're all like genre savvy, right? Uh-huh. They're supposed to be genre savvy. But they're like, I guess they all have fucking egos or something because they all just kind of split up. And it's so retarded. Yeah, I mean, for real. So they, they, 
no one is living in these homes at this point. Like Juan is incarcerated awaiting trial. Walter is God knows where, you know, as far as they're concerned. And Alicia is off staying with her sister. They have more than enough time to investigate fully everything, but apparently Mm -hmm. it's got to be done right now. Maybe Rosentalk, you know, had to catch a plane back to America or something. Who knows? But they've all split up into these homes and Funes goes with um, Rosentalk into Walter's house. Randomly, right? yeah. Well, I don't know why then he didn't go with the guy he, he knew. Yeah, I don't, I mean, but maybe because, like, that's the house that Funes had to break into, right? Like, they had access yeah. to Elisa's house, they had access to Juan's house, but not Walter's, and he, you can see him, like, you know, jimmying the lock to get inside, and so maybe he wanted to be yeah. there as a, a police official or something like that. Maybe. But clearly, he he doesn't want, he's not genre savvy, like, he doesn't want to be there you know yeah but then they see the the weird knife trick right where all like the utensils in the kitchen are like magnetized to the top of like the cabinets Mm -hmm. hanging down over the like the island area or whatever the countertop and of course he puts his hand in there and one of the knives just like shoots up through it and then the blood gets sucked through (laughs) to into the cabinet and they realize something is in the cabinet sucking his blood through the knife (laughs) Did it piss you off when he's sitting there? Like they they would cut away from it and come back and he's still like running his hands through all the magnetized silverware and making them clank together. And I was just like, no, dude, don't fuck with shit like that. I mean, like if you see silverware doing that, don't touch it. (laughs) Yeah. And yet again, you think it's some sort of poltergeist thing, but there's a a mechanism for this Mm -hmm. that you see. Like, and if you watch it like a, a second or third time, you realize not everything's being moved because something's moving it. You can't see or that something's moving with his hand some things are moving because they are literally having some sort of like electromagnetic effect on these things moving through the through the room yeah that's right because when they open up the cabinet and they try to see what's sucking that blood there's nothing there but it moves and all the silverware goes with it you know mm-hmm. and it's like yeah so clearly there's there's something there's an actual presence there and they yeah. can hear it like scurrying around and things like that and you know later on they start to realize that it is like sort of feasting on the blood or something, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with the body because Rosentalk tells him to go and clean up all the blood in the house, like clean up every evidence of blood. But he can't do that. You know, he gets to a point where he he can see and sense that thing in the room with him. Mm-hmm. And that's when Funes is like, no, I'm done. I'm going to yep. call Hano, my friend, and be like, I'm out, you know, peace. He does something Nicole would have done. Nikki would have done weeks before. That's right. <laughs> and nope's on out. <laughs> yeah, nope. <laughs> she Nikki would have been out been, of the drain. <laughs> she would have been out of that movie. The minute there was like a gurgling noise from that drain that sounded like a voice, she'd be like, well, we're moving. <laughs> 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 Fuck you. Buenos Aires. Yeah, I probably Cyrus. would too. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> oh, Jesus. But yeah, and then we get the the window trick, right? Where... Hano is across the street and he's talking with um, Funes. Funes, you know, and like Funes is saying, like, I'm done. I'm, I'm like, I'm just, I'm out. And it's just like, well, are you by the kitchen window? And then we see that he's looking at, depending on which window pane he's looking through, that you can see one of the monsters or what have you, like standing in the window, kind of staring at him across the street. That's right. 
it is so fucking creepy <laughs> it really is and i mean it's just one of those situations where as as a horror fan and an avid horror movie watcher you know that something is going to happen right because he's like anytime the camera pans back and forth and is showing you something and not showing you something you have mm-hmm. to expect you know some sort of a scare but it really pays off like because he finally goes back to where you should see the creature and it's not in the window and it pops up right in front of his face (laughs) and i jump like a scared child every single time that happens i'm just like oh (laughs) yeah and meanwhile uh i guess funes uh and this might have happened right before right after i've forgotten uh calls you know uh or sorry rosenthal calls funes back into the room and into the bedroom, Walter's bedroom, and says, well, look under the bed here, and there's nothing. And then look under the bed on this other side, and he sees all the feet moving and stuff. And he just, that's, I think that's when Venus was done. He just, like, leaves the room, and that's yeah. when he called. Yeah, Be- and that's when he called Hano. Because his heart condition starts to kick in right there. He's so terrified by what he sees. Mm-hmm. And the look on Rosentalk's face when he shows him this, he's like lightness and dark, you know, presence and not presence, right? Like he looks excited because he's he's discovered something. So he's in a candy store. Yeah. And Funes is not excited about that. You know, <laughs> he obviously is terrified and he runs out of the house just leaving Rosentalk behind. He just heads out and heads straight over to Alicia's house to find his friend Hano and tell him that he's out, you know, like you guys do what you need to do, but I'm gone. Right. But Mm -hmm. Hano is nowhere in that house. Meanwhile, I guess he goes back and makes his way to um, Albrecht's, you know, where where Albrecht is investigating and he goes in and she's standing by a crack in the wall. Yeah. A huge crack. Talking to Walter, (laughs) who I assume would be Walter. Right. And did she actually say Walter? She did. Yeah. So she's she's looking at that creature that's inside that crack and um, she's calling out to Walter Carabajal. Right. She's like, you know, Senor Carabajal, come come to me. Like, we're here to help you. Right. Mm-hmm. And like it briefly looks like him. You can tell from yeah. the hair that's on its head. And these creatures don't have hair. Right. So like they... Have, he's much more monstrous than the last time we'd seen him through the, right. through the window. We, we, we don't know anything else that's happening with his body or anything his like that. His eyes are glowing. Mm-hmm. But that's that's all we can see is these glowing eyes. And like clearly he's, he's living in a crack in a home that's not his. And there is some sort of like, you know, extra dimensional connection between all these homes, right? We he's turned the upside down. That. The upside down. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like the in-between space, right? You know, because they, they they do that again and, and show us that darkness light thing, you know, later on. But first of all, she gets, you know, she's talking about, he's like, what can we do about this? And she's kind of giving us a little bit of exposition about these things by saying like something about water, you know, the existent water, like just like everything else and dimensions of life for like the sections of an orange or whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like they feed off of blood and they exist kind of in, in the in-between spaces or whatever. And he's like, what can we do? And she's like, nothing. And then like, <laughs> the grabs comes the shit out of the wall, just like, yeah, like apparently just like rips her in half or something. And he has another attack. Well, yeah, I mean, cause he, uh, he's obviously had enough even before that giant clawed hand comes and grabs her head because he's showing her like the blood on his hands and he was like this is hano's blood and this is rosentalk's blood and like we are like way over our heads here and she's like no we study these things don't believe everything you see (laughs) yeah he's like you know it's okay go wash yourself don't you drink that water and so i mean like (laughs) 
it leads me to believe that yes, there is something in the water and it's infecting these people because she says they can gather and they can nest and choose a host. So it's almost like a parasite, right? Like a parasite mm-hmm. from another dimension. And I mean, when she starts talking about segments of an orange, I'm kind of glad that fucking hand comes out and like snatches her. <laughs> I'm like, that's enough, lady. We don't need to know all this. It's okay. And it's kind of horrifying, right? And uh, mm-hmm. so he's having that heart attack and he's laying on the ground and, you know, we don't know if he's going to live or die. And we can see the creature that I can only assume is Walter coming out of that crack, right? And it looks bloody and gnarly and we, we never really get to see it like full on, but we know it's coming toward him. And at one point it's right over him. He can look up and he can see the bloody body like on the furniture, like coming to get him. But he's sort of saved by his ex, Alicia, coming into the room and, you know, confronting him about what he did to her son. Because, you know, the video has already come out. She's been called by her neighbor. She knows exactly what he did and she wants to know why. Right. But you can see her her hands are all, you know, dirty and muddy. That's right. She has been up to something. <laughs> and so he is begging her to take him take him to the hospital. He's having a heart attack. And, you know, they're they're going outside. She gets into her car. He finally makes it up there. He opens the back door and that dead, bloated child corpse is in the back seat. <laughs> Damn. And, you know, she's like, Well, of course I wasn't gonna leave him there. And yeah. he has no option. He has to get into his own car after having suffered a heart attack and drive away. Yeah, he noped right out of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but not before Dr. Albrecht's, like, death becomes her head, flopping in the breeze, <laughs> running up, and like, you can still save us! And shit. I'm like, he ain't gonna save us! <laughs> I was like, he doesn't care anymore! Oh my god. Yeah. We're dead. Yeah, so he he does a little thinking bit and the ghost bag decides to like burn everything down, but not before, you know, going into the house and seeing that Alicia's hung herself and seeing the little fucking boy's face in the door before it slams. (laughs) And that got me this time. I don't think it got me the first time, but it got me this time. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's surprising when it just pops up in the crack of that door and I'm like, God, you cannot burn it fast enough. Like, quickly do something about it. Right. And so. He's lighting that match, trying to get the fire started, and it keeps blowing out. And he happens to turn and look, and it's his friend Hanna with no fucking eyes. And it's Sam Neill from Event Horizon. <laughs> exactly, blowing out matches. And he's like, fuck it, I'll shoot it. <laughs> and by then we're all clapping. We're like, yes, like, just burn it down, obviously. Seriously, I thought Hanna was going to be like, do you see? <laughs> Oh my god it really is kind of like hell on earth though not hell in space yeah. but there's a lot i mean we've we've what we've probably rattled off at least like 10 movies that this reminds us of or is reminiscent of without being a copy you know exactly yeah completely effective so mm-hmm. everything burns down and we go back to juan who's still in jail a year later and he's visited by three more people uh two of which we don't really know i assume there are other kinds of investigators and then one yeah. police officer so I'm guessing that they're kind of like the normal kind of investigators, but they've probably uncovered that these others, everyone basically that has come to see him is basically now dead, you know, and they're questioning him about the investigators that disappeared, you know, that when, you know, we're trying to, you know, prove his case. And uh, of course he sees behind them that he sees Rosentalk. He's like, you, you brought Rosentalk with you, but his face is burned. And of course they don't see him. Nope, but he he moves that picture forward and he's like, this one, 
but he doesn't get to do that very long because the chair is hurled toward them and it's the end of the movie. <laughs> that got me the first time I watched the movie. I was yeah. like, God damn it. <laughs> like the it's simplest such, scare. <laughs> it's such a cheap ass gag, you know, but it's like, I deserved it because it worked. <laughs> yeah. I watched the movie. And I think it works because the entire movie is effective and scary. And so like you can have something cheap like that and still be effectively scary because you're just already in that fucking mode, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we've, we've gone through the movie in synopsis form and like play by play now, and it's time to like talk about, you know, other things. And I think that some of the acting in this movie is very good. Yeah. I would have to say everyone did, a, did an excellent job. Really? I kind of feel smart when I watch like foreign language films a little bit, you know what I mean? And it just like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's not that there are any better sometimes than American horror films. I just, I feel that they are. And I have no idea why my brain does that. But if, you know, when I, when I see an actor performing something in their own language, right. And I find it to be like a, re- a really amazing performance. I think that just shows that it's universally very good. And I think a lot of these actors are universally very good at what they do. I think starting with, I think we can pretty much say that Funes is the main character in this movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although the first time I watched it, I was kind of annoyed by his character, but on my second watch, I kind of understood. I kind of got him more. Yeah. I think that, I mean, like when, when it comes to like points of comedy, I think that he's really best in this. Like he, he's really good at acting scared. He's really good at acting funny and he really pushes the story forward. And I think that everything sort of hinges on his actions in this movie. And I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, like as a character, I think he's very important. And I think that as an actor, Maximiliano Gion was, was very, very good. So yeah. Although I think my favorite character of the film was Norberto Gonzalo as Hanno, the older yeah. medical examiner, later investig- paranormal investigator. I think if there was another character that was sort of like vying for like main character in this movie, I think that would be him, right? Because he really has something to prove as a paranormal investigator. <laughs> so, yeah. I feel like the perfect casting uh, for him in the American version would be. Um, Anthony Hopkins. Ooh, yeah, that would be very good. I can totally because you reminded that. me of Anthony Hopkins a little bit. Yeah, I can totally see that. I don't know who I would choose to play Funes. It would have to be like some sort of everyman sort of actor, but Kristen Dunst. <laughs> <laughs> no, she could play Doctor Albrecht. <laughs> no, Doctor Albrecht has to be like the um, the pseudo psychology mother of Dexter. Um, she's also coming up in the new Dune movie. God, what's her name? Charlotte Rampling. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel do. like I feel like she reminded me of Charlotte Rampling. So it's like we need Charlotte Rampling. I can see that as well. Here we are just casting this movie. Just <laughs> we can do this. Yeah. <laughs> I like her character a lot too. I mean, because she has some some witty one liners and like she really like acts as like this big know it all, right? <gasps> Funas can be Eli Roth. <gasps> yes. <laughs> He would like act the shit out of that. Too. Oh, God. At first, I was thinking someone like bigger, like Brad Pitt or something like that. But Eli Roth is much better. It's a much better choice. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> anyway, I uh, I like Albrecht's character because, like, again, like it, it was once she finally we finally figure out who it is, and like that Walter was trying to call her and exactly like what she studies. I'm like, oh, 
oh, you know, I mean, like it's that point in the movie, but she also brings us Rosentalk, right. Who like, you know, rounds out the three investigators. And I, I have to say that like, I, I don't know. His performance is, is what it was supposed to be. I think that I haven't read the script obviously, but it seems like they were trying to find an American person who didn't really, you know, who spoke the language, but not well enough to have a conversation without being reminded of certain words. Right. Mm. But the words that he needed to be reminded of are the feelings of what the other characters are experiencing at that moment. Like he's talking to Funes and he's like, you're feeling sort of, and he trips over his words and Funes is like scared. And he's like, yes, exactly. And Funes is like, <laughs> well, fuck yeah, I am, you know, like, <laughs> so terrified. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's important. Right. But those are sort of our main characters and the, the rest of them are, you know, stars in the different segments of the movie are leading up to the investigation. Right. Mm-hmm. So like Alicia played by Julieta Vanilla. Right. Uh, which is the dead boy's mother. I don't know. She plays crazy really well. Right. Yeah. And Demian Salomon was great as Walter, honestly, because he was the audience. For sure. That's right. Yeah. He was completely the audience in this movie and he was just terrified of everything that was going on around him. He was at work and was going crazy about things that were happening to him at home. I mean, it was really affecting everything about his life. And we're only given like, you know, a couple nights to see what was happening to him. And we have no idea how long this was going on in his house or what he was dealing with. And it's just like truly, truly frightening to me. And then Augustine Rotano as Juan, He's also kind of the audience, but of course, at first you like you don't like his dismissal of his wife, but then later he's the one that's in the mental institution, you know, and so he is the audience at the end. That's right, and he's you know the one full on saying like something weird is happening in my neighborhood, and I think the investigators sort of help him like put all the pieces together. You're gonna call. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Venkman, it's not these guys. (laughs) (laughs) They're pretty shitty investigators, really. I mean, (laughs) for all their experience, I mean, they all died. For real. (laughs) I'm like, either this is like supreme paranormal investigation or they're really bad at what they do. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they all knew enough about it to like understand it or begin to understand it, but they obviously didn't recognize the threat because they're all just so enthralled with being right or validated. You know, it's just like, stop. Exactly. Right. It it seems like they all have written their books. They all have things to prove. Right. Because when Hano goes to her and says, Oh, you read my book. And like, like you said earlier, so go ahead and nice cover. Right. I mean, they all are out for themselves. And when Rosentalk calls Dr. Albrecht and he was like, I have found the proof that I'm looking for. And she's like, oh, good. I'm so glad you could be part of this investigation. Right. They just really underestimate the things that they were looking for. Right. We've already talked about meddling and things that you shouldn't meddle with when we talked about yeah. white noise. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is just another prime example of that. Well, I'd love to see a role. And I feel like there's a couple out there where like, you know, you don't, it's like, for instance, Jurassic Park, you don't see Sam Neill like opening the jaws of a T-Rex, putting his head in and going, oh my God, it's real. You know, like, <laughs> right. He has That's a respect true. for it. He has a like, very real respect for it and the danger of it. He knows it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we need more characters like that with the supernatural where they're like, no, when I say leave it alone or look the other way or run away, 
do that. You know, like you don't want to fuck with this shit. Right. Don't get further into the crack and be like, oh, Walter, come to me. Come to me, Walter. No. Just be like, there's something in this crack and maybe we should come back another day and see if it's still there. I mean, my God. Samuel's been there. He's seen it. He was in Event Horizon. That's right. He's done it all. Have you seen it? (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen (laughs) it? I need to watch Event Horizon again. I haven't watched that in a long time. We need to cover it. That's a good deep dive. Gross ass movie. Anyway so uh yeah that's that's our movie you know and we have been kind of gushing about like the look feel and the music of it so i don't know how much more we want to say but i felt like there was very subtle vfx in this great makeup effects from what little they show and i loved it was just the perfect amount of what they showed great music as we mentioned but i do want to say something because the the cinematography was really really done well it was just photographed really really well the atmosphere was perfect I completely agree. It really like sets up everything, especially in Walter's story. I think that the way that it's shot lends itself to like mystery and horror. And, you know, it shows you just enough to get you scared and then shows you just enough to terrify you. And, you know, and that, and that's great. I, I think that the effects are also really good, especially that boy <clears throat> creating that boy's corpse. It's horrifying. You know, they could they created something that was just sitting there still. And it was just, you know, terrifying to, to watch. And I mean, I, you know, all the awards that um, he was nominated for, for all his makeup effects were well deserved, I think. So, and not to, you know, belabor the point, but with the cinematography, I feel like it would be easy to kind of dismiss it as kind of run of the mill, but each of those houses was photographed differently. Each one had a different atmosphere and colors and lighting used. And, it's not easy to do the level of lighting that you need in a kind of a, a lights off, but still well lit kitchen, but to still have someone in shadow, you know, like, and like that little boy, like that whole sequence was done so well with the lighting and mm-hmm. some other sequences as well, especially the, the nighttime sequences and things like that. I just thought it was uh, done very well. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. I think it's a, a very well-made movie. I think that the director, the cinematographer, you know, he was also the composer, like everything just sort of came together to make a very, very good movie. Something I think that, you know, for American audiences, we might take for granted, right? Mm-hmm. Or people not even really see because you, they may not have access to this movie like, you know, we do, but... I mean, I, don't, I thought it was really, really good. As a whole, a really good, well-made movie. And I think one of those reasons is that he took a lot of influence and kind of ran with them. It's like he watched 100, mov- 100 horror movies and kind of pick and chose, I really like this about this one, I really like that about this one, and kind of put his own twist on them to make them exist in the same universe, right? So we see like parts of like The Exorcist and... Uh, you know, Darkness Falls and uh, Event Horizon, you know, Nosferatu. And we see a bunch of those in this, you know, like influences to make this thing happen. Yeah. I mean, even more than that, I think like I mean, there's I can see parts of Halloween in this, especially mm-hmm. from a neighborhood aspect. Right. And the way the camera lingers when people are walking from house to house or just walking through the neighborhood or like, you know, when that boy got hit by the bus and they're seeing like the people come and clean it up with water right like pushing that water back down into the drain his body's already been infected a little bit Mm -hmm. we know right Mm -hmm. and so we have these like contagion horror movies like everything is in here yeah to to, uh, (laughs) exactly right Uh, yeah 
I mean, I didn't even think about that until you just said it right, right into a sewer. I mean, it's just like everything that we already know scares us or the best parts of all these movies put into something that seems fresh and brand new, right? This is a really good, you know, example of how influence can create a very good movie. You know, I oftentimes will listen to interviews by horror directors and the minute you start to say like what influenced you they get all defensive about it be like no this is mine you know i wrote this i directed it it's okay to say that you were influenced enough to like have shades of it in your movie as long as you make it effective on your own Mm -hmm. so and this movie i think does that definitely i definitely agree with that would you say this film is an anthology yeah I do. And so I, this is why I got so excited. We were going to talk about it in October. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's, you know, it doesn't seem like it on its cover because it's all in one neighborhood, but they're all the kind of distinct stories until like the last half where it kind of combines into this investigation. And so it, it turns to be like, it turns into a really, really incredibly smooth anthology if it is an anthology. Yeah, I think oftentimes the the biggest complaint that we, at least you and I, have about anthology movies is that it's so like hit or miss amongst the segments, right? Yeah. Like we'll have something really good and then something terrible in between. And but this one really flows well and every single part of the movie influences the next step, right? It's like the pulp fiction of horror movies. If you're gonna have something nonlinear, it all works together in a really cohesive whole. But you could still say that these are individual stories that are being told. Yeah, right. I, I, I love anthologies that are connected, right? I love that about Trick or Treat. And again, mm-hmm. we're naming another movie, right? Because this is even more interconnected than Trick or Treat is. Yes, I would say so as well. But then we could look at something like Creepshow, where the only connection is sort of like the wraparound story, right? Or the yeah. comic book. And some of those, you know, are good and some of them are kind of bad. And you just do... you pick your favorites while you're watching the movie. But in this one, you really can't have the entire movie without its pieces, right? Mm-hmm. But they're shot and told in such a way that makes it, to me, an anthology horror movie. So what do you think was actually happening? Like, based on everything I could glean, I kind of wrote down, like, it's a spread-through water organism that, when infecting a person, can incite or excite dead tissue, create extra-dimensional electromagnetic vampires. <laughs> i don't know really the first time i watched this movie i was so scared of it and when they started to sort of explain what these things were i was like i don't get it you know but i really didn't need to get it i was already scared and that was enough of a payoff for me the second time around when she started to explain i think i was paying a little bit more attention to it and i was like okay i i get it from sort of like an infection sense Right. Like, obviously, it's in the water and all the water that these people have, you know, come from the same sort of like reservoir or whatever. And so they're all going to be infected. They're all going to experience these things like noises from the drain or dead children coming out of the grave or, you know, whatever is living in someone's home. Right. It's Mm -hmm. all connected to the water. But I don't need an explanation past that. You know, I'm, I'm okay with it. Like everything else about the sucking of the blood or the magnetizing or whatever is just extra to me. That's like it's the, flavor, you know, it's it's the yeah. spice of the dish, you know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Chef's kiss. She could have just said, Don't drink the water, there's some shit in it. And I would have been like, Oh, okay. <laughs> That's fine. That's all she had to say. 
So you're saying you should have bought, you know, bottles of bleach instead of gallons of gasoline? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> just like, just clean the water. This is just interdimensional mosquitoes. Because <laughs> all they're going to do is put that fucking fire out with more fucking water. You know, I mean, like, it's not going to solve anything. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, I don't want to know, but it's still kind of fascinating to me. Because you can tell that there's some sort of weird mythology right around the corner of this that they're very purposely not telling us. And I love that. Yeah. And that could be for many, many reasons. It could be for sequels. It could be for just or just to like not explain it. You know, I mean, like I'm good with either way. I would like to see a sequel to this movie. I think that'd be great. Actually, Speaking of which, there is a throwaway line that uh, when the investigators initially go and visit um, Juan Mm -hmm. and they said, well, you know, uh, something almost exactly like this happened in 1998 in the United States. So I'm wondering if that sequel or remake is actually going to be or could be a prequel of this and take place in the late 90s if it's going to be in the U.S. Because they literally had that line in the movie. That's right. So, like, yeah, Rosen talked talked about like like sort of investigating something like that, right? And that's why mm-hmm. he's down in Argentina, <clears throat> and that would be a really good direction for this to go. I think that. Oftentimes, when it comes to remakes of, you know, foreign horror movies, you know, we just sort of make an Americanized version of it, right? We've seen it with, like, The Ring um, at all. Um, But now that I know that the director of this movie may be involved, I think that he might take this sort of route. And that he purposefully wrote it like that and that wrote that line, right? And so, obviously, every word on there is written with intent. Right. It's not just a throwaway. And so obviously he knows what happened with Wreck, you know, and a bunch of others across the world, you know. And so it could be interesting to see, you know, if that's kind of what he intended, kind of as a throwaway marketing line for, you know, someone in the audience to be like, hey, I've got some money. I'm going to try and release this in the U.S. And it would be perfect to say that it happened in the United States. You know what I mean? So it's just like it's that direct like way to, to have a movie made in America or whatever. I, but I think like a direct remake of this movie would be doing it a huge disservice. Yeah. I think they really need to further the story based on the mythology that's already created. I need to know, you know what happened before in this neighborhood or what happened after. I, I, I don't, I don't want to see it happen all over again, you know? Yeah. With or just it, like American people. Yeah. Or if it is the prequel that happened in the U S you know, I don't want it to explain anything either. Obviously they didn't learn anything from that other than like the nature of it, you know? So, that's right. I would, I'd be interested in that too. So one thing about this movie and covering it was I was very tempted to kind of start this episode off with saying, don't listen to this episode, you know, go watch it. But I think we have a lot of listeners that do wait to see things before they listen to our deep dives. Yeah. You know, so <clears throat> I didn't want to like stop anyone from, from watching this film. Even if you know what happens, like I knew what would happen like the second time I watched it and it still scared the shit out of me. So, you know, I think that we're okay. You know, not telling people, you know, don't watch this until, you know, don't listen to this episode until you've watched it because I feel like it's still that effective, you know, even knowing some of the details of the plot. Yeah, there are there are movies that scare me every single time that I watch them, right? But I can sort of count them on one or two hands, you mm-hmm. know? Like the, the more you watch something, you know what to expect. And yeah, maybe you'll find some new things to scare you. But the way that this movie scares me is leaps and bounds more than other things that I have seen. Like I was terrified when I watched it the first time I was super terrified watching it the second time. And I knew what was going to happen. You know, I just, it's just like really, really effective. And I I think that us like going through it point by point, 
it will still scare you when you watch it. You yeah. Know? And I also like, hope that we don't like hype it up so much that people get psyched out and just kind of smugly watching like, this is going to scare me. And then it doesn't, you know, it's like, I hope that you could let yourself get into it, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, like not everyone's going to be scared by it. I understand this. Yeah. And I've, I've been hyping this movie up since I saw it the first time. Like when I first watched it, I told you how much it scared me. Yeah. And I have been telling our listeners and, and anybody online, because I'm one of those people, like if someone says, I want to watch a movie that's going to scare me, I say terrified on Shudder. That's all that I say, you know, like go watch <laughs> it. You know, I don't have to say anything more than that. But, you know, I have to remind people that it's not, it's not what happens in a movie really. It's like how it happens that makes it scary. And so like having a full synopsis or a point by point, you know, conversation doesn't do like the, the, the justice of actually watching the film. Yeah. And you had been telling me for months that this film terrified you and you had to leave, but you do get scared in films way more than I do. Like it's been, it's, it's very rare that, that a film, scares me like really scares me or gets me right it's, it's generally what i say because it could creep me out it can scare me kind of like white noise creeps me out you know or at least used to <laughs> and uh you know watching this having known that you had to like stop it and leave the room to take breaks because you got too scared you know it kind of psyched me out a little bit but i watched it and i got into it and it scared the shit out of me and it got me in several places and it, and a movie hasn't been that in quite a while for me you know and so as a, a horror aficionado that is very rarely scared and doesn't watch horror movies to scare me, you know, that's not why I watch horror movies. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's definitely something I would recommend on that level. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And that, that really answers a lot of the questions that we save for the end of the episode. You know, I mean, like, I don't feel that I need to ask, you know, is, is this a horror movie or were you scared? Cause I mean, obviously it is. Check, and we check. were, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just nothing else to say about it, but do you have any fun facts for me about terrified? No, I don't. I got nothing. There's just not much literature about this film. Yeah. I, I, and I, this is this is the question I would like to ask you. That is, I mean, do you? I don't think that people have seen this movie. Do you? I mean, no. And it it kind of also if it's only available on Shutter, I don't know if you can still rent it on Amazon. Yeah, I don't know. Even if you don't have a Shutter account or something, yes, you can rent it for four ninety nine and you can buy it. Well, there you go. Yeah, so you can rent it on Amazon without having Shutter. Like, so if you don't have a Shutter account, don't worry, you can still rent it. It's definitely worth the rental, and definitely on Halloween. Oh yeah, this is like the perfect October movie, and that's why we picked it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good, it's scary, it's effective, right? So there's our two questions right there. It's a horror movie, and it's scary. It's super worth a watch. So out of five stars, then what would you rate Terrified? I gave it a four. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I think the first time that I watched it, I gave it three and a half. And I mean, I thought it deserved that. you were that, probably right? angry that you were so scared. <laughs> I was. I was very mad that I was terrified and that I, I mean, I had to sleep. Like, you know, my husband had gone to bed already. I was watching it by myself and I think I slept on the couch that night and I just didn't sleep very well. Like it, it, give, it gave me nightmares, you know? And uh, so I was kind of mad about that. But mostly I was kind of mad about the explanation that was given about the creatures and what was going on. But I really appreciated that more on the second watch. And so I bumped it up to four stars because I think it really is a good movie. Yeah, me too. So finally, who is the hottest guy on Terrified? Oh, shit. Uh, I'm going to have to say it was Juan. Uh, the guy whose wife died yeah. in the shower? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go with Funes. 
I think the detective guy was super hot. And, like, I, I don't know why. He just seemed like some sort of everyman, like, nice and bearded. And <laughs> he wasn't, like, chiseled body or whatever. But he made me laugh. He added to my scares. There's one moment when um, he's talking to Dr. Albrecht or Hanno or something like that. And, and they're like, well, it's better if you're in the dark anyway. And he's like, oh, oh, oh okay. You know? And so it, like, made me laugh. And I just... I like him as a character. So. <laughs> I think he just like feeds into your fantasy of, yes, I do know how Festo was going officer. That's right. I mean, <laughs> do you know how paranormal this is? <laughs> yes, I do, officer. Do you want to come and check? <laughs> do you want to check my crack? It's <laughs> <laughs> funny if you've seen the movie. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I have a big crack. <laughs> <laughs> there could be something inside. <laughs> Let's not okay, go far down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Terrified. And we would very much like to know if any of our listeners have seen this movie and what you think about it. You can tell us on social media at the Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or better yet, call our hotline at 972-666-7733 and yell at us for how terrified we made you watching this film. <laughs> That's right. We got lots of those voicemails on the last shoot in the flames and we want some more along with reviews and patrons. So head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers for all of our bonus content and leave us a review on Apple podcasts and a little snippet of why you like us. And we will read that on shooting the flames. We have one more episode coming out for you in October, all of spooky season, and we are going to be binging the fuck out of Bly Manor and coming back to talk about it for you. That's right. We really enjoyed Hill House. We're hoping we enjoyed this one, too. I know I will. I know you will, too, and I'm sure I will as well. (laughs) Well, guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we hope you're enjoying your October festivities. But until next time... Dulces sueños.